Uh, we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 6 this morning. If you've got a Bible with you, then please feel free to turn there. Um, uh, it's been a, we, I think we shared in, in e-news this week uh, the funding for, the, for this place. So we, we shared in September that there was a, a deficit of about £59,000. And we shared a few weeks back when uh, Steph was visiting that £59,000 had been given since then through our gift day, through other churches contributing, um, and, and through applications uh, for grants. And uh, this week we received another £2,000 from United Kingdom Fellowship in Saxmundham, which is great. It's good, isn't it? God keeps providing, meeting the needs of uh, putting this wonderful place uh, together. Um, you, you'll know as well that in uh, a week or so's time, I'll be here next Sunday, but then on the Monday, um, Julian and I and Jez are heading out to Kenya Uganda. Appreciate your prayers for, the, for that visit as we look to go and spend time with Patrick and Grace and also uh, visit Richard Sampala uh, in Kampala. So appreciate your prayers just as we kind of ready ourselves to go. Traveling to East Africa's, uh, there's, you know, it's not simple. <laughs> so there's a lot around there. Um, Jez and Julian are going to East Africa, I think, for the first time. So we'd really value prayers for that. I mean, we'll get some time next Sunday, I think, to pray before we go. So we're in a series, just a short mini-series on the Lord's Prayer. We're actually doing the Sermon on the Mount as a whole series, Matthew 5 uh, to 7. We're doing it kind of slowed down a little bit as we got to the Lord's Prayer, just taking it a bit slower. Um, and uh, we're in the, this is the last of the, the ones on the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to carry on through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, through uh, the remainder um, of the academic year, at least. So should we pray together? Um, I, I'm going to... It'll be up on the screen here, and uh, we've been doing this each week as we've been going through the series, just praying the Lord's Prayer together, so let's, let's do that together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Great. And uh, we're focusing on that last uh, line in verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I thought I'd do something slightly different uh, this morning. I'm just going to give us four pictures which might unpack some of the things that are going on, I think, in this uh, part of the Lord's Prayer. And the first is this picture of refining gold. Um, gold is refined in fire, isn't it? Um, there's lots of things that are produced out of pressure, and gold's one of them, out of, out of the fire. It says in the Bible that we're refined, doesn't it? Uh, like gold as, uh, as through fire. And, um, and uh, one of the things I think that's going on here is about testing and temptation and the difference between the two. Because um, there are differences between God testing us and the devil's or our experiences of temptation. Um, asking God not to lead us into temptation seems odd, doesn't it? Because it seems like something that God wouldn't do. In fact, in James it says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So perhaps some have suggested it saying, let us not be led into temptation. God doesn't tempt, but nevertheless, God does test. He does put us through periods of testing and of trials where 
we're refined, as it were, or we're squeezed, or we're through pressure of circumstances, situations, things that are going on in our lives are refined, um, that we grow, that uh, something good comes out of it. Testing is not necessarily bad, it's, it's for our good, it's also for God's glory. So why does God allow periods of temptation? In fact, we looked at this not long ago, didn't we? If you flick a couple of chapters back, what happens to Jesus? After the Father says, this is my son, with who, in whom I delight, with him I'm well pleased, and then what, what happens next? In fact, if I turn there, our chapter divides aren't originally, aren't, you know, they're just inserted in. This is how it would have read. Uh, the dove came to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There wouldn't have been any chapter divide before. You'd have just read from one thing into the next. God's the Father kind of reaffirming his love for his son. And then the next verse, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. I think you see there that both God's testing, trials, can happen alongside the devil's tempting, but for different purposes. Um, You see that in Jesus' passage, but you see it generally in life. But we can often think, why does God even allow temptation? Doesn't he love me? Why is he allowing this evil to happen? Why is he putting me through this? When's it going to end? And it's because he loves us, just like gold is refined in fire. We're refined through testing trials. It's a little bit like training. Why does God test us? It's for training. When um, I don't know if you've ever been to the gym. I haven't very often, as mentioned before. But if you lift weights, what's actually happening is you're damaging your muscle, aren't you? That's what happens when you lift weights. You're, you're wrecking your muscle on purpose. Why? Because when you leave it the next day, what happens? It grows and mends itself stronger than it was previously. And then you wreck your muscle again in training. And then you leave it a day and the muscle grows as it repairs itself. And so there's something like that going on where we go through periods of testing and of trials. There's something that God's doing in us. He's training us. He's training us. In fact, James says it in his letter, doesn't he? He says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, which must be one of the strangest verses in the Bible to read at face value. And then it says this, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's producing something in you, just like doing the weights is producing something in the muscle. Going through the testing is producing something in us, steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what the Lord's doing when he puts us through those situations. He's wanting us to be complete, lacking in nothing that we need. And then it goes on later and says, Blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial, for when they've stood the test, they'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It's for our good. Why else does the Lord test us? Why else do we go through periods of trial? It's to discipline us. Like a loving father disciplines their children. Now, if you um, have raised children, then you'll have gone through that period of um, with, with toddlers, you know, when they're sat at the table and they haven't quite yet learned yet how to handle food. And uh, it just goes everywhere, doesn't it? People try all sorts. Get laminate flooring, 
That's an easy way to solve that one. Or get one of those mats that you put around the table and then you roll it up afterwards and you know, clean it or whatever. But the child hasn't yet learnt to handle food properly. The food's just kind of like... I remember Jess once giving the children at that age couscous. Nightmare. Utter nightmare. I said, let's not do that again. Couscous is banned for five years. When they get older and they can handle their food, let's reintroduce it, but let's just ban that because the food's just going everywhere. And uh, you discipline your child, don't you? Sorry, you? <laughs> Jess has just poked her head around the back. She can hear her name being mentioned. Um, and uh, what, you, what you don't do is you, you don't take the food away, do you? You don't think, children can't handle the food. Let's just not give it to them at the table. No, what do you do? You kind of you discipline them, don't you? You train them in order to be able to handle the food so that in you know, five, ten years' time when you take them around somebody's house, they're not going... Throwing it across the table. It's discipline in the same way God uses trials. The trial is putting the food in front of the child. You know it's a temptation for them to throw it, but still you want to discipline them, train them to handle it. Well, it says this of the people of God in Deuteronomy. It says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord, your God, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. There's something of the proving of our faith in God through testing situations and circumstances, through trials. In Genesis uh, 22, it tells us that God tested Abraham when he told him to sacrifice Isaac. We just mentioned the passage where Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil God's not the one who tempted him, but he did lead him into the place where he was tested. And it proved Jesus' obedience to the Father, didn't it? It proved that above all, that he, d- he, he wasn't going to turn stones to bread, having been hungry for 40 days and 40 nights. He was going to trust the Lord. He's, he's going to obey the Father no matter what. It proved something of his obedience to the Father. And as the representative of the new humanity... He conquered the devil's temptations on our behalf so that he's able to help us to resist the devil's temptations when we're tempted. So it's possible for the God's testing and the devil's temptations to be present in the same circumstances. And that's important to know, isn't it? Because you can think when you go through a testing or a, tr- or a trial, God's not with me. Where is he? What's happening? And the truth is, is that he's with you, in it, And he's wanting something good for you. And he's wanting it to bring glory to him as well. And I'm sure many of us can, can testify to times in our life where you went through something was, that was testing, it was a trial, it was a difficult time to go through. But when you look back at that time in your life, you're glad that you went through it. Yeah? Because it did something good in you, refined like gold. Jesus accepted God-sent hardship, and if we're following him, we should expect it too. But I think also there's something to say about um, what that's like. I think we're praying here in line with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it that's a kind of a promise from God 
that he won't put us under. And that's, that's what we're praying here. Lead us not into temptation. Don't lead us into situations that would be overwhelming for us. We'd, we'd be too burdened with it. But thank you, Lord, that you provide a way of escape, that you help us to endure it, that you don't give us something that's too much to bear. So that's the first uh, picture. Uh, here's the second pictures here of a minefield and a pit. A minefield that's full of dangers. I don't know if you've ever played that game, probably in a youth group. I wish I had something to wrap around my head. I'm going to borrow this of Jess's again. Uh, she's not here. So. But you, you ever played that game of minefield? You put a bunch of objects in the hall. You imagine that this is the beginning and the end of the hall is the end. And then you blindfold the contestant. Please don't do anything to me while I'm doing this. And then somebody at the other end who is on your team directs you by telling you which way to go because the room's full of minefields, mines. So you've got to get through it and you're directed by your friend who um, helps you uh, through the course of it. I think there's something of that going on in life, isn't there? Life's really, it's full of dangers. The Bible warns us, doesn't it? I think Jesus is teaching us to pray something here that warns us that there's mines around. Be careful where you step and where you tread in life, which way you turn and how you go in life. There's mines around, there's dangers there are ahead. I think it's also a picture of the pit, a kind of pit of temptation. Something for us to, that, that, that we're being lured all the time to things that would lead us into a pit, would destroy us, would ruin us, would, would cause us real um, strife in life. And Jesus is teaching us to pray here for our general need for God's help and protection against future Sin in life. When we become Christians, we're saved, God gives us a new heart with new desires and new longing to follow him and to obey him, to learn to be and live like Jesus. And this new base desire in our heart um, isn't without opposition, because otherwise life would be simple, wouldn't it? God just go, here, new heart, new longings and desires to obey me and be faithful to me. And you just go... Wonderful. Thanks so much. What a doddle. <laughs> but that's not the reality of Christian life, is it? We still face opposition all the time. And we face opposition from three sources that I think are worth pulling out. I think the main one that Jesus is talking about here is the opposition of the enemy, of the devil. In fact, sometimes this is translated and deliver us from the evil one, specifically the devil. I think that's his main focus. The devil is a personal enemy. He's an evil force. He's a, one with personal characteristics. He's against God, against his plans, his purposes, and his people. And um, I guess to use the language, actually, of the Lord's Prayer. He's against God's name. He's against God's kingdom. He's against God's will. We sometimes have a bit of a hard time in our 21st century Britain believing in the devil, and um, all that kind of thing. I guess because we're fed cartoon versions of the devil, aren't we? The Man United strip has got a red devil on it with a pitchfork and kind of spiky horns, and he's red. Yeah, and they're kind of ca- we're fed these kind of caricature versions of what the devil is like. But there's nothing pantomime or trivial or cartoon about him. He's destructive. He's a liar. He's murderous. He's a robber. Peter writes about him like this, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So the Christian life is not one of 
I've received this new heart of obedience and faithfulness towards God. That's my longing and desire. Therefore, life's going to be a breeze. No, it's a, it's a minefield full of danger. There's pits around that the devil is trying to lure us into all the time. He's aiming to split people off from God, from one another, and he's working through argument, suggestion, plants ideas, thoughts, possibilities. He brings chaos and evil. And we're not to dismiss him, but to take him seriously. And considering the state of the world, it's not hard to believe in this day and age that there's, there's, a, there's a good personality, God, and there's one in opposition to him, the devil. And you look at the state of the world... You just read the news and you can see what's going on in life. So what mine is the enemy trying to lead you to step onto? Because actually, I guess life's a little bit like playing that game blindfolded. You've got a friend at the end shouting you instructions, but at the same time you've got a, an enemy who's also shouting different instructions. And sometimes it's really hard to tell their voices apart, isn't it? And, uh, and so there's a sense of danger about the way that we uh, kind of go through life. What pit or mine is the enemy trying to lead you to step onto or fall into? What are the things that he... And if you've gone on with God for a, for a while, there'll be common things, won't they? Maybe some of us over time as we've walked with God have learned what those are. The things that you know. He's going to tempt you with that because there's a scar there or there's a vulnerability or a sensitivity and he just constantly goes for it. You have to train yourself, don't you? Train yourself in godliness. Train yourself to think, to deal with those temptations. So that's the first one. Um, The devil tries to lead us astray. Opposition from three sources. The second one is our own sinful desires of the flesh. There's a dynamic of the kingdom now not yet actually present within us And Jesus described that dynamic this way when he urged his disciples to pray with him in Gethsemane. He said to them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is is weak. Yeah, The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And we all experience this within ourselves. We have this heart that wants to follow the Lord Jesus and obey God and be faithful to him. But we battle with the desires of the flesh that are still present in our old self. And described in the Bible as our flesh, which wants to be Lord of our own lives and do our own thing and attempted in all kinds of ways not to follow the Lord and be faithful to him, but to live life else in another way. Paul puts it like this in Romans 7, um, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm the, I am of the flesh, for I don't understand my own actions. This is Paul writing, this is scripture. For I do not what I want to do in my spirit, what's willing, what, what I want to do, be faithful to God follow him, resist temptation. I don't do what, for I do not what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. As a Christian, you ever experienced that dynamic? I know this is wrong. I don't want to do this. I want to follow the Lord and be faithful to him. And yet, I seem to not be able to do this, and I seem to do the thing that I know I shouldn't do. Paul's describing that dynamic. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire in my new God-given heart to do what is right, but not the ability in my flesh to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, 
But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Yeah? So if, if you're experiencing that, in some ways this is encouraging, isn't it? The Apostle Paul is writing scripture and here he's going, I don't understand what I do. I don't understand my actions. I want to do this. I don't want to do that. But I seem to keep doing that and not doing this. He's describing that experience of new heart, new desires, wanting to follow God faithfully, but also the flesh and trying to battle against it. What sinful desires of the flesh are you ongoingly battling with? Because we all have them. What are the things where you're tempted just to, maybe it's ease or comfort, maybe it's a way of dealing with a fear in your heart. What, what do they look like for you? And the third source of opposition is the world's temptations. Paul talks about his friend Demas in um, 2 Timothy 4. He talks about Demas has fallen in love with his present world and he's deserted me. What Paul's describing there is someone who's just become infatuated with something in the world that has consumed their focus, time, attention, energy, money, whatever it be, and they've fallen in love with it. They've thrown their lot in. I'm done with this. I'm done with this wrestle of trying to, like, you know, live faith. It's just easier life. I'm going to throw, throw myself into that over there. Grass is greener over there. Fallen in love with the present world. That offer more immediate gratification. That offer a life of greater ease and of comfort. Things which promise much, but actually really are mines and pits and can consume and destroy us. So, Jesus is teaching us to be not led into overwhelming temptation, but delivered from the mine or pit and this deliver us word is a strong, it's a strong word, it's a forceful word. It's more like a snatch us, snatch us from the evil one, from evil. Help us so that we wouldn't be led into mines and into pits, but over them, around them, beside them, through them, safely. Don't let it happen. Let us not be led into temptation, Father. What do you need the Father's help with steering your way through life? What mines and pits are there that are surrounding you? And do you have friends at the back, you know, in life, who are, you know, in that game, they're shouting to you. They're kind of saying, hey, you know, don't, don't go there. You need people alongside you in life to do that, don't you? Hey, don't do that. That's a mine, that's a pit. Don't think that way. It's not helpful to you. It's not, it's not good for you. We all need friends like that around us, don't we? All right, third one, third picture. I think praying what Jesus teaches us here helps us to be wary of a kind of triumphalism, of celebrating before the end of the race is finished, that we might end up not winning. Warns us of the dangers of surrounding us. There's something to not be led into, there's something to be delivered from. I mean, Jesus has won the victory, hasn't he? We come every week to celebrate that together as a family. Jesus has won the victory. He's lived life perfectly. He's died death on the cross in our place. He's risen again to life. He's ascended and he's seated on a throne, reigning and ruling in all majesty. Soon he's going to return in glory. He's defeated, conquered, overcome death, sin, the devil, 
and the world, hasn't he? Amen? Yeah, that's, that's the victory in Christ in which we stand. His victory has become ours. We have his righteousness. He's died our death for sin. We've been raised with him in Christ. We're seated in heavenly places and we'll be vindicated one day for our decision to follow him when he returns. But if we aren't careful, we can get into a place of, and you'll often see this in kind of broader Christian circles, a kind of slightly complacent triumphalism bit presumptuous of our kind of position in life, perhaps being a little bit unwise. So we shouldn't ever get to a place where we're kind of slightly overly confident. Temptation? No. Victory's mine in Christ? Bring it on. You wouldn't phrase it like that. But do you know what? That kind of attitude that kind of goes, ah, don't worry about that. will be fine. I've got a victory in Christ. You know, he's defeated, conquered the world for me, on my behalf. I'm, I'm living in that. I've got nothing to worry about. There's certainly no sense in the Bible in which we're encouraged to mock the devil, as if almost to invite trouble. You know, he's a real enemy, and he has genuine power and influence. And so uh, that kind of just seems a little bit unwise. I think what Jesus is teaching us is to pray modestly, is to pray humbly, aware of our weaknesses, aware of our vulnerabilities, aware of the dangers that are surrounding us. You know, like in war, I think in World War II, you've got, you've got victory complete, haven't you? You've got the official surrender, but the battles go on for a while, don't they? The skirmishes continue until the war is finally over one day. And we're living between those two periods. Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. The victory has been won. But we still live in a time of ongoing battle. The devil's been defeated, but he's still about. It's, you know, his weapons, his schemes are still going on. He's still kind of, there's skirmishes, there's battles. And he's still, you know, in that period between the official surrender and war actually ending, people still died, didn't they? You probably read stories of people who hadn't heard that surrender had happened, and yet they lost their lives after that point. And that's possible for us as well. It's possible for us to be naive to the battle that's raging, the skirmishes that are still going on, the enemy who still wants to take us down is kind of having his last fling, as it were, and doing the worst he can, even though he's been defeated already. And so we kind of live with that sense of warning, you know, be, be aware, watch, be alert as to what he's doing. In fact, Paul writes like this, doesn't he? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's our kind of posture in life. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand um, in the evil day, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. That's to be our posture as we walk through life. And Jesus teaches us this prayer so that we're not kind of triumphantly dancing on Jesus' victory like we've got nothing to worry about when we're living in a minefield with pits all around, with a devil who's prowling around like a lion looking for somebody to devour. Yeah? That makes sense. I think I've kind of made that point and probably over overdone it all right there we go <laughs> you probably can't overdo that actually i rebuke myself you can't overdo the being alert and aware of the enemy's schemes 
All right, last one. Here's a picture of a child reaching for its father's hand and walking through uncertainty. I tried to find one of them walking through war, but that was, that was the best picture I could find. And what the Lord Jesus is teaching us in saying, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, he's teaching us to reach for the Father's hand. With all of the pictures that we've just kind of thought through, he's teaching us to reach for the Father's hand. You imagine that child walking into a war zone, or the mist and the cloud, the uncertainty, the danger of it all. Like that child, we want to reach up our hand to the Father's hand and say, lead us through it. That's what we're doing in this prayer. When we're praying, lead us, deliver us. We're recognizing our weaknesses, recognizing our need for him and his help, aware we need to talk with him, aware that we're safe in his hands, that we're not wandering alone into disaster. One writer says this, we recognize the deliverance from the evil one is not within humanity's grasp. For this, the power, of gra- power and grace of God are needed. That's what we're doing. Lord, Father God, we need you. We need you through this. One writer says this, he paraphrases it. Dear Father, please lead us in such a way that we will be able to resist the temptations that surround us. Please swoop down and rescue us from all the wiles of the evil one and from the power of all his evil people and works. We need your help. We need your help. And if we've got a sober assessment of our own vulnerabilities, weaknesses and failings and sin... If we've got a good awareness of the schemes of the devil, of the flesh, our own sinful desires, of the world's temptations, then soberly we'll reach for the Father's hand and say, Father, I need help. I need help. If you've been a Christian for a reasonable amount of time, the chances are you've got a dear uh, friend who was walking faithfully with the Lord Perhaps even somebody you looked up to. Somebody who was just apparently caught up in, in love with God. Wholeheartedly committed to following him faithfully and on mission. And for, for whatever reason, their own sinful desires, the world's temptations, the schemes of the devil. The enemies essentially devoured them, like the passage says. They've got caught up in something. And life's just taken a really horrible turn for them. And it's actually quite hard to watch, isn't it? You've got friends who've been in that situation. And kind of you lovingly want to get alongside them and always offer them a way back to the Father and be kind of encouraging them back. But those kind of situations should make us wary of our own weaknesses, vulnerabilities and failings, shouldn't it? Just keep us alert. Keep us reaching out to the Father's hand. It says this in Psalm 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. This is Psalmist talking to God. You guide me with your counsel. My heart, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion 
forever. For me, it's good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge. That's what we're doing when we pray this. Lord, you're my refuge. Father, I take your hand. Lead me through this. In Jesus, we have a friend who helps us in this. I preached this during the the last series in Matthew that we did on Jesus' temptations. But the Lord Jesus said in says in Luke 24 that he was delivered into, Jesus himself was delivered into evil. He was delivered into sinful hands to be crucified and on the third day rise so that we would be raised with him and delivered from the evil one. Jesus has been delivered into evil so that we would be delivered from it. And so it says in Hebrews, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Reach up for the Father's hands, we say, mercy and grace in our time of need. Help us in our weakness, Father, we pray. Julian, do you want to come back up and we're going to respond? Uh, three kind of practical uh, things to help us uh, respond. Um, we'll follow on from this. The first one is, it's important to daily acknowledge sinful desires temptations and struggles to the father yeah when we come to him i think the expansion of this line of the lord's prayer is meant to be something on the lines of lord i'm really struggling with this i feel really tempted to do this i just wish my life was more like that honestly father you know we're hiding nothing from him are we (laughs) he knows it anyway But there's something important about us expressing our struggles to the Father and being honest with him. So that's the first one. Come to him in prayer and acknowledge him. The second one is bring them into the light. The devil works in the darkness, doesn't he? He works in the darkness. When we bring things into the light, we're in a much safer place. And that's one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? Because you're no longer having to just be vulnerable with the Father, who knows everything about you, You're needing to share it with somebody else who doesn't know it. And it might shed some light on the way that you think and feel and et cetera, et cetera, doesn't it? You know, actually, if you say to somebody, I'm really struggling with this, it might change the way that they perceive you. Yeah? You don't know how. Are they going to share it with someone else? It's now out of your control a little bit, isn't it? You're trusting them. You're kind of putting your confidence that they'll keep it to themselves. But it's really important to bring things into the light. The devil works in the darkness. You bring things into light, you're in a safer place. So having relationships, friendships with people you can share those things with is vital. And I guess as friends of those, uh, when somebody is sharing that with us, we want to be those who are thinking, you know, how, being alert to the ways the person is thinking, the ideas they're taking on board, the fears that might be there and just being a loving friend that gently says but that's not true is it that actually hasn't happened 
the Bible says this. I don't think that's wise. I don't think the Bible would teach us to think that way and help them through it. Third thing is take practical steps to remove temptation. Whether it's software on a laptop, removing a TV channel, changing your routines and habits, stop spending so much time alone with a particular person. Maybe it's deciding not to buy a particular thing. So, three practical things. Should we just still ourselves before the Lord as we come to respond? Maybe the Lord has uh, brought to mind something as we've been together in the Word this morning. Maybe it's a scheme of the devil. He's twisting your thinking. He's planting ideas and thoughts that are unsettling you, drawing up fears, causing all sorts of confusion. Maybe for others of us, it's temptations of the flesh sinful desires that kind of rear their head that we may be ashamed to mention to anyone. That's for others of us, it's just looking at other people's lives, envy, kind of getting a hold. Grass is greener over there, life would be much easier if I couldn't live without X. Lord, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord. Snatch us away from the mine, from the pit, from whatever is going on in our lives. Protect us, Lord, from all future sin. Guard us. Be our eyes where we're ignorantly wandering through the minefield put friends in our path to give us wise counsel and to help lead us through it. We pray, Father, lead us in such a way that we'll be able to resist the temptations that surround us. Please swoop down and rescue us from all the wiles of the evil one and from the power of all his evil people and works. We say, Father God, we need your help. We need your help, Lord.